0: Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Dagan. That's Eric. That is Matt Grassmeyer. And guys, we're going to be digging into Why did I say your last name and not anyone else's last name? Was it weird? I felt the weirdness like I, We're talking about Psalm
1: 46. Luther wrote a song about it. He was German. My last right, name's German. Can I restart? That's I hey,
0: that's Dagan Bull that's Eric Browning. That's Matt Grassmeyer. I'm going to start using y'all's middle names if I can learn them. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So, so we've gotten to Psalm 46. The name of the Psalm is God is our fortress to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. And so let's talk about the sons of Korah real quick. So just very, very quickly, Korah rebelled against Moses, Good. okay? Yep. But his sons did not. And so this is uh, of the sons of Korah, which is just interesting on its face. But, you know, if you don't know that, that it's not going to really stick out to you but this is just like a quick little sidebar. The sins of the father do not define the sins of the son. Okay. So to all you people, all you generational sin people and all this other like soul ties and curses and all that, just, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. But (laughs) the thing that I love about Psalm 46 is it is the source of the single greatest modern worship song of all time, And that is a song, Lord of Hosts, by Shane and Shane. So major shout out to Shane and Shane. So Shane Bernard and Shane Everett, if you're listening to this right now, you wrote the single greatest worship song ever. Every time I've been in the same room while you've played it, put a brick wall in the middle of that room. I will run (laughs) through it and set myself on fire. That is how I feel when I listen to that song. But also, it is the source for Martin Luther's song, A Fortress Is Our God. And there's so much here with Psalm 46, guys. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's your favorite Browning, so I'll tee you up here in a second. There's a lot here. But Psalm 46 alludes to Zion, uh, the, the land of Zion, even though it is not named. Um, it's kind of broken up in a few different ways, which is very interesting. Um, so it's a song about the threats coming from nature, but also threat coming from from nations, And so the first three verses are threats coming from nature, and then 4 through 11 are threats coming from the nations. And then there's also, uh, you could break it up this way, verses 1 through 3 is cosmic collapse, verses 4 through 7 are political turmoil, and then 8 through 11 are divine intervention. So there's a lot of different ways to break up this psalm, which is relatively short. But Eric, I'm just curious for, for this one, I mean... It may just be the Shane and Shane song, but like, what is it about Psalm 46 that sticks out to you above the other 150 or 149?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just, I put down really, um, despite all the injustice, all, all the wars, all the crap, God is going to vindicate. It's going to show himself. He's going to make things right. In the end, I, I was reminded of, I don't know if you saw this. In 1984, I I watched the Never Ending Story. Have you seen the Never? Well, you were li- oh, yeah. alive in 1984. Oh. That's right. I was seven, <laughs> as was Degen. I was seven. Yep, and I had a uh, couple more years to go. Oh man, <laughs> yep. Well, I I remember you know the, Never <laughs> Ending Story. Ooh, you got you it. Got that's it. That's, that's right. it. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh man, Stranger Things one. brought that back to life. <laughs> oh really? Oh my goodness. I'm, yes. I've never seen that show. Oh so, gosh. Know. Um. Yeah. So it was. You know, the never ending story, you've got the nothing, you've got Bastion, you've got a tray, mm-hmm. You, and the nothing was just making its way across basically that, not the earth, whatever that place, the Fantasia, Fantasia, and just destroying it, you know, so the whole, the whole story, the whole movie is about trying to stop the nothing from annihilating everything, and in the very end, and I remember the first time I, was, I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, the nothing appears to win. Appears to win. There's there's literally nothing but blackness, darkness until one of, uh, the fairy I don't remember her name whatever opens her hand and there's just a speck a speck left and from that then Bastion was able to recreate everything and I remember thinking oh my gosh this is amazing you know justice been served um, so when I when I was when I read that that's kind of what comes to mind is I just got am reminded that of that movie second thing I'm reminded of In uh, a modern day, you know, we've got these cameras, we can put them around our house, kind of surveillance, that sort of thing. I was imagining me, so we we are just old enough now that we can can leave and go have dinner and our kids can be home and the house doesn't get burned down. we feel pretty safe about it but i just imagine like if it was just my my two boys cuz they sometimes they butt heads and i put my oldest in charge and we leave And, you know we happen to have one of these cameras up so we can still check in on them <laughs> yeah. you know and, and just imagine my oldest has totally forgotten there's a camera up and treats his his, his brother badly you know and, and this son is just scared for his life you know he's like what in the world you know he's making me do everything he's wrestling me he hurt me whatever um he even despite going through that he knows that when we get home, we can review what, what happened and, um, and bring on justice for, for the younger. So when I think about this song, that's what I'm thinking about. Also, the word fortress, you know, in the previous weeks, we've talked about taking refuge. The fortress just seems better, bigger, meatier, mightier, you know, so. Yeah, it's,
0: there's so much power in, in this as well. But again, that's why I think it's interesting whenever artists take these words, because Shane and Shane basically just sing these words of the song. And again, I, I'm going to mention them probably about a thousand times, which by the way, I think of these four Psalms that we've covered, three of them are on Psalms 2 records. So I yep. think what they have a song about Psalm 27, Psalm 34, 34 and then and Psalm 26. 46. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and then they had, their original Psalms record was when we were like in college or something like that. That came out 2002, like... 2002.
1: It was the first, first worship CD that I ever listened to. And a fun fact about Matt: Matt started actually reading the Bible because of Psalms Volume One, because they were singing straight Scripture. And I was like, "Does the Bible really say that?" I want to go find out. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And now, you know, twenty years later, I'm still I'm a huge Shady Chain fan. I mean, I
0: remember when Psalms Two came out, mm-hmm. and this was before they released the the live version of Psalms Two or whatever. And I like tweeted at him or left a comment on Facebook that I was just like listening to this album and again. I've talked a lot about you know throughout these weeks of up and down with the Bible and going years without really digging in or reading at all. But like, you'll hear one of those songs, you'll hear Lord of hosts, or you'll hear one of those representations. And then it's like, man, you just have that desire to go and read the Bible, to do the hard work of digging through scripture and trying to get some meaning out of it and stuff like that. And so it's interesting whenever you can hear an artistic rendering of this Psalm in modern day, because this was sung as a song, but we don't have the, I don't know anything about music, but we don't have the accompanying Musical notes, or like how they sang it, or or how it went from you know village to village, or town to town, or something like that. So it's just crazy how much power can be packed into something artistic. I mean, in one of our breaks, Dagan, uh, your your daughters are dancers, and you were showing us videos and pictures of them dancing. And it's these young ladies, and they're doing these things that are athletically impressive and things like that. But it's they're doing something by dancing that you can't really do with words, and so you try to describe it with words, but it doesn't really work that way. Same thing these are letters on the page, you know, it reads like poetry, but when someone puts like instruments and their, their voices behind it and like, it's actually well done. It's just, it's a different thing entirely. Well, I'm, I, I
3: love Shane and Shane and, um, but like, I read this and I hear like ACDC's Thunderstruck start, mm. you know, it's that guitar where it's like, and I, and I think I mentioned it to you, you know, when we were talking about the different Psalms that we were going to be doing, it's like Psalm 46 is the, is is the tunnel jam song hyping up the team to go out into the arena and dominate yeah. right like to me that's that's what it's like it's you know when you talk about getting lifted up into a tower it's like well if you know if you're going out to do a battle and you can see the battlefield from the tower like you can make calls about what's going on and and it, and it and it you you're never in the fog of war so to speak because you're in the middle of the battlefield you're in the tower and you're up above it uh, and it's kind of cheating at that point, you know? So it's almost no. like, you know, it's, it's, it's like Bugs Bunny getting Michael Jordan to play on his basketball team. When I read this, it's like, yeah.
1: this is a song of victory for sure. Right. And what I think of is like, I like how you put it. Like it's, it's the jam you play before the battle because you know, you know, you won. You didn't win God won. but I think of, um, obviously we can't talk about Psalm 46 without talking about Hezekiah. and. I think of I think of the scenes in the Marvel movies. Thor, Thor is is the god of thunder. Let's not conflate him with anything Christian. But when the immigrant song comes on in a Mm -hmm. battle scene that he's in, and he's just pulverizing dudes like it's nothing. Yeah, like that is the Lord of Hosts in Psalm forty six, and he is just oh yeah, just obliterating people without a second thought because it's nothing to him, and he is our victory. And I like that. This, yeah, this song is just, it's such a powerful testament to who God is.
2: Yeah. And I was just to go off of that. I mean, God, you gotta know God knows everything from the beginning to the end. And so he, he basically just spelling it out here. It's like, if I, if I know I'm going to be victorious, I want to be on that team, you know, uh, because he's going to win in the end. And, and when he can spell it out and I can see it, and I was, I was reminded, we can talk about it later, but just of even in, uh, I believe it's in Second Peter, just about by his word, he is going to literally make the earth just melt mm. away. It's just going to go away. Can you imagine all of the non-believers looking mm. at all their gold and all their money and all their stuff that they amassed just literally melt at the word of God. And we're going to sit there and be like, yeah, and he's about to recreate it all. Just like you did in the beginning.
0: When we look at right now, so when people talk about hurricanes and tornadoes and all these different natural disasters, it's like we don't have to get into like a deep theological debate about the beginning parts of Genesis, but it's like the idea is there were not going to be hurricanes in the garden. Right? Like there wasn't going to be F5 tornadoes ripping through God's garden. Like all of that is products of the fall. That is to a degree, the earth groaning uh, for, for paradise, right? As it were. And so right there in verse two, there, uh, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Those first three verses, those are threats of nature. But it's that even if the entire world collapses, if, if weather collapses, if nature collapses, name a calamity, wildfires, like whatever, name a calamity, we should still not fear. And I go back to, you know, this is kind of stupid to admit as a kid growing up in Oklahoma, I was terrified of tornadoes growing up. And, you know, I lived in Lawton, Oklahoma, and there's something interesting about Lawton, Oklahoma, and the Wichita Mountains. There's never really tornadoes in Lawton, and it has something to do with the mountains. And I don't really understand it, but we never really got to experience it. But I remember the one time when we were little kids and there was a tornado warning, and the only, you know, all of our family lived in that town. The only one with a storm shelter was our great grandparents that were on the other side of town. And here we are in the backseat. My dad's driving through town, and the lightning was closer than it had ever been. And it's so terrifying and I'm already scared probably because of the movie Twister. Twister did to me what the movie Jaws did for anyone that decided they wanted to swim in the ocean back and whenever that came out in the sixties or seventies. And so, uh, you know, when you guys were alive, um, you know, in high school, when, when, did y'all graduate high school? Yeah, it came out the same year 60? we were born. Actually. Perfect. Yeah. 1977. Oh,
3: okay. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Sorry. You guys are really old. The, the, what were the Beatles like in concert? <laughs> they were.
3: Um, old. Oh, that was, that was wonderful. Yeah.
0: But like, We're terrified, but we finally get to the great-grandparents' house. Our entire family's there. And I remember my dad, he's the one, because for whatever reason, they didn't build these freaking doors with locks on them. And so you had to have some poor dope holding the rope to this, you know, (laughs) underground cellar to keep everybody alive. And that poor dope was my dad. And, you know, there wasn't a tornado, but there was really high winds and it was really damaging. I just remember how scared I was. And obviously, as I get older and as you you realize, you know, we know three or four days in advance, hey, there's probably going to be severe weather this day. Don't be caught, you know, unaware, be weather aware today, like that type of thing. But I feel like there's nothing that could make me more scared than a weather calamity because in that moment, you realize just how weak you are. Rushing water, raging winds, any of those types of things, that's different than being caught up in, you know, a gang fight or being caught, you know, you know somewhere in an embarrassing spot. That's where, like, I read that and I'm like, I think about how terrified I was as a kid and how easily I could be terrified by God. I mean, you talk about, you know, the, you know, the the God of thunder and all those different things. Like part of his appeal and part of his intimidation was using thunder and lightning and all those different things. And how easily could we be taken advantage of or being caused fearful just by nature, basically falling down around us?
2: Well, I I was just thinking too about the sons of Korah. You know, we live in America, these type of calamities that you're bringing up are basically as, as bad as it gets right now. But there are people that live in other parts of the world where maybe they're a small tribe and they know that just a few miles down the road is a much, much larger tribe. Mm-hmm. And that tribe is consistently plotting to take them out. So they live in a different kind of fear. Well, that's exactly as I understood when I did some, some, uh research on this what the sons of Korah were dealing with they they were dealing with the assyrians that were constantly looking to take them out and so there's this fear of of are they going to show up today maybe mm-hmm. tomorrow you know i don't know
3: when you know the the first verse god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble right mm-hmm. it's he, he in other in other psalms uh, david describes him as the deliverer right like well, this is describing him as a helper, like he's like I'm not here to deliver you from this. I'm here to help you, and you know that that to me is like, uh, you know, it, it's like a boxer. Like a boxer is is in the round and and is going toe to toe, and then they and then they get a moment where they get to break and they go to the corner and they have a helper there who is, you know, giving them hydrating them, you know, helping them if, you know cutting the eye, cut me Lou! you know, cutting <laughs> their eyes and all that and. And, and they are helping them not for their comfort, but uh, to, to get back out, right? Cause, cause the, the fight's not over, yeah. um, but it's like, hey, we got this, you got the tower view, and you got a helper in your corner.
0: And I think the, the thing that really strikes me about, about this is, again, it talks about cosmic collapse, that's verses one through three, political turmoil, that's verses four through seven, and then divine intervention. And so we live in a time right now where there's a lot of tension, right? And, and to be honest, we're recording this a while before it comes out, but there are wars and rumors of wars that are, that is happening to an insane degree right now, and not with countries that you've never heard of, and not with countries that don't have any nukes. It's with all the countries that you're the most terrified of as an American, or on the other side that they're terrified of us, or those types of things. And it's easy now for us to get wrapped around the axle. On politics. And the word turmoil is very interesting because you feel turmoil when your favorite party is not in office. Right. Yeah. Or if you're a libertarian and you realize that you literally will never win an election <laughs> because your entire worldview is stupid. <laughs> but like the when you say you're a Republican person or you're a Democrat person or something like that, it's like when your guy's not in the White House, yeah. you feel like the the world is in turmoil. But when your guy was in the White House, your life chilled out, which I find odd. And I don't know, because I think, you know, 2016 in the election, Donald Trump kind of broke people's brains in, in a lot of degrees, broke people's brains in evangelicalism, in political life and all those different things. So who knows what it's going to look like as we move forward into the future. But I feel like it kind of almost set me free a little bit to be like, when my guy does or doesn't get into office, that doesn't change what happens to me right. the next morning. I wake up early, I go work out, get in the studio, get after it, take care of the boys, take care of my wife but this political turmoil thing i feel like is the loudest of the siren songs right now that's my personal opinion where do how do you guys kind of feel about that i think there's
1: some truth to that but i i i think it goes back to last week we we're talking about where is your refuge and if your refuge is in political you know affiliation like you should check that and i think people don't probably associate that with a sin but it is an idol which is sinful and the Psalms do talk about in the Bible itself, just itself, God puts kings on their thrones and it's all for God's glory. He puts righteous kings on thrones, but he puts unrighteous kings on, on thrones too. And because your political party isn't in office, doesn't mean that God is not sovereign. It just means that your political party isn't in, in power at the time. Right. But again, where's your refuge? Where are you going for your identity?
2: Right. I was, um, you know, there's, Two, I was thinking of two fortresses, two different kinds of fortresses that exist. One is uh, one of the wonders of the world. It's the Great Wall of China. <clears throat> you know, It was however many thousands of miles long. And then the Mongols just decided, oh, we'll just go around it. So <laughs> they just went around and went ahead and invaded anyways. So the, the Chinese decided, well, the Ming Dynasty was like, well, let's make it wider, make it longer. So you know, what is it, 8,000 total miles now? Manchurians were like, well, eh, we'll go around it too. Yeah. So they just go around it and do it again. I mean, so that's, I was thinking about like, how do we build false fortresses in our lives? And I know in the past weeks, we've talked about that, you know, with money and success and all sorts of things. And there's another fortress that, um, I, I, St. Michel, Mount St. Michel, in Normandy. And uh, it's just, just beautiful kind of rock just right off, off the coast. And it's so interesting that the, the, the water flows in and around it on a granite base. <clears throat> so when the water goes out, it, it, you can walk across from the land right to St. Mount Michel, which is an abbey. They built it in 10th century or whatever. And when that water comes in, it can be 40, 50 feet deep. So the, the beauty of it was that the ships could not, they couldn't really get the ships in because then the water would go out and they just, they'd be stuck. Um, And then armies couldn't come out from the land because they get halfway out there and then the tide would come in and just sweep them all away. So it survived the hundred years war because of that. Uh, So I, you know, when I'm thinking of like a fortress, if, if, if I'm going to pick one of those, it's going to be that one. Interesting.
1: Go with me on a journey. I'm I'm about to thought flow here. So this is just, this has just come to me. So you're talking about the Great Wall of China. That is, is, uh, to my knowledge, the only man-made structure that can be seen from space. Okay? So a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the Tower of Babel. Look at the story of China and how, since the creation of the Great Wall, what has happened to China, specifically what has happened in the last 40 years. They're a communist dictatorship, very oppressive to their people. I think it's interesting that it, with the Tower of Babel, God says, okay, you want to do it yourself? This is what's going to happen. But he then rebuilds his people, and then we find the culmination of that Tower of Babel in Acts when, when all the languages come together. That's kind of, the, that's kind of the, the full circle moment. Tower of Babel, everybody's spread out, everybody's speaking their different languages, and then it all comes back in Acts, and everybody's hearing the gospel in their own language look at what God is doing in China under a very oppressive regime in a place that said, look at what we can do. Look at the things that we can build. And I'm not saying that this is biblical and that I'm not saying that this is exactly what's God doing, but it is an interesting picture of like what God, what the work of God that is happening in China. It's illegal to be a Christian. Christianity growing like wildfire there. Exploding. Yeah. Because yeah, but the Lord of hosts makes it so. I think that's a very interesting, very cool picture of what God does. I really think
2: that when uh, the king, and I don't remember his name. Hezekiah. Uh, no, no, no. Oh. Uh, well, maybe. I, I can't remember. Um, took Jeremiah's scrolls, oh. remember? Yeah. And he, and he burned them. I think he, he thought, oh, I've gotten rid of it. No, not
1: Hezekiah. Know. Hezekiah
2: was a great king. So yeah, no, no, different, different guy, different guy. Anyways, um, it, it, what do you do? He just went back to Baruch and was like, "Look, God said, let's just do it again. So they just wrote them all out again. It's like, and oh, what was that? The book of Eli. That's another good, yeah, good yeah, example. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but it's been out for like 13 <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, it's been out yeah. for a while. If you hey, spoiler, they kill
0: the shark at the end of Job. Oh. Sorry, guys. Oh. There's your spoiler alert. What? <laughs> well, so the, the interesting point about that, if, is the center point of Christianity for the last 2,000 years has been the northern hemisphere, right? It's been Middle East, Europe, and North America, and then it spread from there. But if you talk to any statistician, anyone that pays attention to trends and things like that, it's the southern hemisphere that is the future of Christianity, because we live in a post-Christian West, right? Everything we do politically is filtered through a lens of secularism. That's not how it is right now because the the gospel is exploding in Africa. It's exploding in China, in North Korea, uh, in South Korea. uh, It's exploding in all these places. And that's, you know, that's a lot of people are trying to reckon with, well, what does that mean? And how does that look? Because, you know, African culture, part of the reason why the gospel is doing so well in African cultures is because Most of their religious ideology is built off of miracles. And so they're like, oh, yeah, sure. A Middle Eastern Jew died and then rose again three days later. Yeah, I I just saw a cow resurrect like four or five days ago. This is amazing. (laughs) So, like, it's it's just a very different ideal. But, again, it goes back to, again, talking politics, drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. Again, I've said this over and over on the show, but I don't believe that Donald Trump is pro-life in his heart, but he got Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court of the United States, Roe v. Wade went the way of the trash bin. Uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey went the way of the trash bin, which didn't end the debate in the United States, but has saved tens of thousands of babies' lives just since last summer. Mm-hmm. Right? That was drawn with a twice-divorced, you know, very corrupt and you know, of all intents and purposes, immoral guy. And so you you talk about you know God putting kings like in America, president is king. Doesn't rule everything, but the president is king, and Donald Trump was there for a short time. Like we're in an era where you don't not get a second term. You always get a second term. But if you point to anything that was accomplished during that period, that's, that's gotta be number one on everybody's ranking. And it's like, that goes directly to the idea of life and the protection of image bearers of Christ and how incredible that is.
1: Yeah. But that also speaks. I mean, God, like that, that, the Bible is full of Trump's like people like Donald Trump that God uses his own glory. And so like I think it's in uh I think it's in a uh the Exodus um the Exodus show on uh Daily Wire? Yes, thank you yeah. that they talk about like which is fantastic cr- by Yeah, the way. It, you should watch it. It's good that people that had such a problem with Donald Trump because he wasn't moral and this isn't this isn't a you know, a, this isn't a pro Trump anything but That's not a biblical response to Trump because, again, the Bible is full of people just like Trump that God uses anyway.
0: So, I mean, just think about David. Like the last three psalms that we went through, written by David, again, murderer and a rapist. They're like, wait, I didn't know he raped anybody. Do you think Bathsheba just slept with David because, or do you think that was like, oh, he's the king, and if I don't sleep with him, I'm going to die? Like, does it's not much of a stretch to call the man a rapist? But it's like that. again, we get the Savior from his line, right? Yeah, Like right. there are whores in his line, Rahab, there are murderers in his line. yeah. Harlots, like,
1: you know. All sorts of terrible people.
0: So one thing I want to talk about as well with this psalm is getting into verses eight and nine. And so uh, come behold the, it's funny as I'm reading this, I'm like hearing Shane yeah. and Shane sing it in my ears. <laughs> everybody's, so,
1: everybody's doing that yeah. here. So. so
0: yeah, verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. Verse nine, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I just got to tell you, when I highlighted that, I literally drew a line out to the side and wrote, so epic. Like that is part of the reason, and I sent you guys a text this week. Um, It was the song Stigmata by the band Mm. Convictions. Okay. So it's a very not well-known Christian metal band. And loud very, very loud. (laughs) And if you're not expecting it to pick up on the Bluetooth in your car, it will scare you like midway through the song. (laughs) Yeah. Like Browning did. And so, you know, when they scream the word stigmata, it's a little bit terrifying when you're not ready for it. It But the thing about it is when the reason why I talk so much about churches becoming man friendly, it's because when men sing words like this, they get it. For some reason, this speaks to the heart of the man, the masculine man, more than, you know, there's Jesus, I will embrace him in my arms. It just it doesn't feel the same. And so why I'm drawn to, you know, bands like Convictions or For Today or Oh Sleeper or any of those types of bands that have made these, you know, gospel-centered albums is because those words are modern day psalms. I told the lead singer of, of the band Convictions, a guy named Mike who's been on the show before, I was like, You wrote a modern day psalm. You can't listen to the to the song Stigmata by Convictions and read the lyrics and think to yourself, Ah, uh, yeah, this is, this is something different. There's lamentation in it. There mm-hmm. are cries for the Lord, but there's also glory yeah. and there's power. And so, to all of you guys listening to this, I know we have a lot of pastors and music ministers and things like that. Have your men in mind when you're picking out the songs, not just the key you're singing in, but right. the lyrical content. For you pastors putting together sermon series, think about the stuff that is going to speak to the heart of the man for whatever reason. We, we don't know. Men understand the line of Judah more than women do innately. And that doesn't mean we ignore the lamb, quite the contrary, but you can't understand the fullness of Jesus unless you understand grace and truth, lamb and lion. That's why I think it's so important to dig into Psalms like this.
1: Oh, for sure. The the Lord of hosts that is with us. I think I talked about Hezekiah earlier. It's in, I think it's in first Kings 18. It could be second Kings 18 or 19. Don't quote me on that, please. Um, when Hezekiah, like the, the city is surrounded, I think it's Assyrians, right? Yeah, and he goes and prays, and the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, comes and strikes down 185,000 mm-hmm. people in the Assyrian army. Like that's that's why I said I think of I think of that I think of Thor, just swinging mm-hmm. his hammer around and just like just killing dudes, and I. I don't fully know how to like explain this because I'm not a theologian, but I believe it's called theophany Christ in the old Testament. You know, the the pre-incarnate Christ coming and that, that is Christ coming and just decimating 185,000 soldiers. Mm, And to go back to to stuff that you talk about all the time, like we want to, Picture Jesus as this cuddly guy who just, you know, be your true self. Man, you read Kings and you read the story of the angel of the Lord Christ decimating almost 200,000 soldiers. Christ is not cuddly in that moment for sure. And God will will be glorified, and no one is going to talk crap on God. And that, I mean, that, that's essentially what happens in that story, right? Like these people are like, oh, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to believe in this God. What, like, mm-hmm. what is he going to do basically? And, and God's like, well, I will show you. <laughs> yeah. 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 <in laughs> and verse
3: five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her mm-hmm. when morning dawns. So they're like, they're like, no doubt, just yep. within the walls of the city, just praying fervently. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up in the morning, the angel of the Lord, yeah, decimated 185,000 and and I think about the hundred eighty five thousand, right? They're 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 preparing for battle the next day, getting their weapons done. They're you know all getting uh, well rested. You know, thinking about hydrating themselves and you know reducing the carbs so they don't have to stop in the middle and go to the bathroom <laughs> like we've discussed. That's, that's right. In uh in that's inside. Right. Uh, conversations, which okay, I was told not up, to do. Back up. I was told not One to do that. One of the first rules I, I know.
0: Said, no inside jokes. I so know. So now what this we have to do joke. is we have to go back in time. Okay. And explain what happened. I'm sorry. So, so go, go back. So Matt, why did Dagan just talk about <laughs> pooping in marathons? So we were
1: just talking about God. preparation and taking, uh, substances, uh, to make you go to the bathroom. And we started talking, I don't know why we started talking (laughs) about runners to go on long runs. And so I just told a story of, I ran, two years in a row, I ran two marathons. The first year I had to stop to go to the bathroom. And then the next year I just did some research and was prepared and knew not to eat carbs afternoon, the day before I ran and that worked. So... Yeah. Well, it's crazy because they, they knew that like thousands yeah. of years they ago. Did. They right. Did that. That's Should've right. That. Uh, but now, they, you'd say they were preparing their bows and their spears and their chariots. Right. Yeah. And Testaments. that's, that's, and that's what, that's what God.
3: So they're getting ready, yeah. right. For a battle. And then I imagine, you know, God will help her when morning dawns, angel of the Lord goes out the battle. There wasn't a battle though. Like it was,
1: yeah. To call it a battle is—it was so. I know. Like, so what wrong. do you
3: even call it? Like, it's like that'd be the most ultimate scene in a movie ever. Decimation. Like, right? Yeah. Absolute destruction, and they're they're gone. And then so it goes on, and and you know, down in eight, come behold the works of the Lord. Right. So it's like telling everybody, hey,
1: come on, down get down out
3: there. here yeah. and see what the Lord has done. So, like you said, the angel, like Jesus, come see what our lord did. Yeah. Well, like, they weren't
1: they weren't going to win. They weren't they they didn't have a chance. 185,000 people trained killers at your doorstep. You're done.
3: You're
1: done. You're not you're not winning that battle. And what a great picture of man when it's when my back's against the wall, is my back really against the wall? It is if I don't take refuge in God. Okay, if, so, I, if I do, God's going to battle for me.
0: So, so let, me, let me ask something to that, to that line because I was kind of thinking about this and I was going to ask you guys, why aren't more modern pastors and more worship leaders embracing stuff like the Psalms, like leaning into it? But a lot of modern, it's not even like Western, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm, I'm trying to like get the words for it. Why do a lot of modern ministries and a lot of pastors basically encourage people to find the strength within themselves like you can do this or you're enough or like uh Jesus loves you the way that you are the, the inherent evil of a statement even like the last one I mentioned is if that were true then why did Jesus need to die if Jesus loved you just the way that you are so well, flowing that a little bit. I think there's this
1: okay if we if we just read the bible and we did what it said, there were, the, help, the, the self-help industry would be dead. There'd be no need for that. It's not, but I think that goes to the watered-down gospel. Jesus loves you, which is true, but Jesus doesn't love us just the way we are. He loves us in spite of who we are, but then he calls us. There's not, there's not a single story in the New Testament in the gospel writings where Jesus doesn't meet somebody or encounter somebody and he he specifically calls them to something different, to something better. Go and sin no more is the cry of Jesus to the people who he loves. But that's like to tell half the story is, in my opinion, condemning people to hell. And so to your point, I, I think it's because we're so bent inward that we want to think it's that works plus like or that or, or grace plus sorry that we can think okay grace grace alone saves me but i can also do stuff and you are enough and I, I i don't know exactly where that comes from but yeah that's a dangerous thing for sure
0: i mean when you guys hear that stuff come from kind of modern preachers cuz i mean i agree with all that matt but like the, the, you are enough, like find the answers within yourself, like uh, allow your inner you to, to be the you that the world sees like that. Does it align with something that you said, you said this months ago, it was like moral therapeutic deism. Is it kind of in the same vein as stuff as stuff like that, Eric? Uh,
2: well, and when I, when I think about that, I'm thinking more like God just wants me to be happy. Okay. And so he's, he's yeah. seeking out my happiness. Right. As if
0: we're the eleventh commandment is you need to be happy, and the twelfth commandment is you need to be nice. Yeah, you need to be. It doesn't it all go back to the garden? Did
1: God really say? And Satan is trying to tell us, you can be like God, and I think that's where it comes from. Is Mm, we want to we want to be our own God, and yeah, like self sufficiency. We want to be the answer to our prayers, and. Because then yeah. we can take the credit. Because, well, yeah, exactly. We could take the credit for something that, like, there's there's no there's no way Hezekiah could take the credit for that. There's no way. There's no way he could stand up there and go, look what I did. And that's the beauty of this story. But how many times do we get in a situation where we can't get out of, but then we take credit for it anyway?
2: Well, you know, all these Psalms that we've gone through... I don't get it, the impression that any of them are a coming to Jesus kind of moment. This is someone that's already, you know, this is already a saved. I'm following after God kind of kind of deal, you know. So it's the I mean, thing about I what I think probably happens, and I may have said this before, so forgive me if I have. <clears throat> but there may be a conversion. We come to Jesus. I'm not good enough. I need you. For salvation, yada yada yada, and then so we get saved, uh, we uh, have repented, and then instead of taking up our cross, we start trying to do things on our own. Again, it's like almost like, well, now that God has done this one thing for me by sending Jesus, I need to do something for Him, and that's where I think it starts to go sideways. No, no, no. Every single day, you need to wake up and remind yourself that you are wholly insufficient. Um, and you are weak, in, um without Jesus, you can do nothing apart from Him. That's why I have the word "abide" in Him. You know, mm-hmm. John five fifteen five uh, to mention. Just uh, we cannot do anything apart from from Him. So we are saved, but that does not then give us license to just go do whatever. You know, um, on our in our own power. And so what I, I think happens is we start to realize that we can't. We can't do it. And so we try other avenues of trying to do it. You know, it's like, well now it's self-help. This well, that, or whatever.
1: that goes back to the, the, the narrow gate versus the wide gate. We don't want to take the narrow gate because it's hard. And Jesus says it's hard. And, Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and he, it's hard, and it's a daily death to ourself. It's a daily picking up of our cross. These aren't my words. Again, this is like, we're going through this in my Sunday school class, and I have a, I have a brilliant Sunday school teacher who will, rename, will remain nameless because I don't, I don't want to mess anything up and then have him call me out on it um, <laughs> <laughs> because that would be embarrassing. But he's talking about, the biggest thing that I took away from this is the, the wide gate it's where all those other things come in. You know, it, it could be a little bit of Christ here, but it's it's modernism, it's self-worship, it's self help, it's new age, but it's it's all it's all wide. And Jesus says it's hard because it's a daily death, it's a daily picking up of our cross. But the biggest thing I took away from that is and I, I it, it was such a, such a light bulb moment was, isn't it amazing that there's a gate in the first place? How awesome is our God that he even gave us a gate at all. And so that's pretty cool.
3: Well, and that is cool. And it, and it is, it's like, um, Hey, you've been separated from God. You better build a gate. You know, it's <laughs> like, Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm thinking about your question earlier about, about encouraging someone to, to find, find the power within themselves. Like how discouraging is that to someone who's struggling and vulnerable and, and seeking. Right. And they've been fighting that struggle for who knows how long to be told, quote unquote, like you can do it. Cause in them it's like, no, I can't. Like I've been, you been listening to me i've been trying like i like i've had a really hard go and i can't do it like this this is all you have to offer me is that i can do it and it's like to your point yeah to your point it's it's you know it's it's like hey you know what that's exactly why we need jesus
2: right
0: but i think it works on the opposite side of that too dagan in that okay there's the people to where it's like okay you're gonna navel gaze or like you know, you're, you're told you can do it. It's like, no, I've been trying like It's just not possible. It's like, there are certain things that you're just not capable of. And like, we love taking scripture out of context and, you know, uh, these things about courage and victory and all that. But then look at verse 10, because I didn't realize verse 10 was taken out of context as much as it was until Mm. I, you know, did a little digging, but it's be still and know that I am God. Okay. And then that's typically what we see on the coffee mug with pumpkin spice lattes in it while mm. you're wrapped up in a blanket and, by a, and a fire and all that kind of stuff. But then there's the rest of it, which is, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. With us in the fire. The God of Jacob <laughs> is our fortress. Sorry, that, that one part wasn't quite in the, in the oh, text. But, but think about that. That is not, I forget who said it first. So I would love to be able to give them credit. This is not a rest verse. No. Be still and know that I am God. That has been printed on Bible cases and on T-shirts and on all that. And it's typically got a doily pattern and some sort of a flower with it. And it's supposed to get us to be like, girl, you're enough. You just stay there and be still and know that he's God, your cosmic boyfriend. Like and here, listen to air one and buy these nonsense books. Like the thing about it is that it is not a rest verse. It is a victory. Yeah. verse. Yeah. It is a war cry. It goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, Dagan, like when we were figuring out like, okay, whose favorite is whose favorite. This one is that running through the tunnel, breaking through the paper while the smoke machine's going off. That is this moment. It's not, okay, it's after the game and we're having a reflective moment with each other while we're holding hands. And that's the thing is like when you read these things, that, that's why I always encourage guys because now I, I'm learning about all these scriptures that I thought meant what they definitely did not mean. Because I saw them on T-shirts and I saw them on bumper stickers, or I saw pastors kind of pull them out to make a point so they could keep their tax-exempt status at their church. And the (laughs) the the whole thing here is like, we don't we don't operate from victory enough. That's I guess my entire point here is we operate from yeah Jesus and he, he can he can make you he can save your life and he can make you better at life and he can you know basically make you a better person. It's like no, there's victory in Jesus. Like, imagine knowing the score to the game before you get there. Right? No, that's, that's exactly. incredible. It's a
1: cry of victory, but it's also a warning. I will be exalted among the nations. Yep. The Assyrians messed around and they found out. And it is a, it's a battle cry of victory, but it is also a warning to those who would oppose God. And that can be us, for sure, And we can, because we are wicked and we are in opposition to God outside of Christ. And so I think that is a very clear
2: warning oh, of, yeah, of what can happen. Yeah, every <laughs> every knee, or what will shall, happen. Yeah, every there. knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Everyone, yeah. is going to confess.
3: Kyle, you you bring up um, you know the victory and going into any game. If you knew what the final score was going right. to be, and that triggered, you know, it must be pop culture time because we we sorry. It's a new that, guy thing. I'm still getting to it. Um, so, so the thing it makes me think of is, uh, did you, are you guys old enough to know of the game Contra? Did you play Contra when oh, you were a kid? Oh, yes.
0: Is that on like Atari or something like uh, that? It, it was or did on Nintendo? Y'all play that with, with Nintendo. Nintendo. Did y'all play that with stones in the mud? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, Mid- yeah, Nintendo 64. You, you played it.
3: It. So it was on Nintendo, it. but it was a game. You heard the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Short sure. code code. Yeah, game, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, every single weapon, unlimited lives. God mode. And you just mowed through that game, right? <laughs> you'd, you'd get your gun. That's the Lord of hosts. And you code. would, you know, and it, and it was back when games were just let, you just ran from the left side of the screen to the yeah. right side of the screen mm-hmm. for like three hours. Yeah. But you just murdered everything. And like, and it didn't matter if, if, if you stepped, if you fell in a pit, you just dropped down from the sky and you just keep running. And that this is up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Mm. Or like anything that is in, that the, the, the devil tries to throw in front of you like you the victory is done like mm-hmm. i may stumble and i may fall in this pit but i'm gonna be right back at it that's right and i and and i have unlimited lives and i'm going for it
1: i think this is all really awesome to talk about but i think we would be remiss if we didn't pause and talk about how god is victorious and in this specific battle, he is victorious. And if somebody gets cancer, as a believer, God will be victorious. But That doesn't mean you're going to be cured of cancer. Sure. And so I think, I think we should maybe rest in, in just a little bit of what we decide is victory isn't always what God prescribes as victory. and this whole psalm could be taken out of context very easily for someone just using the, the, the cancer analogy. And if I think that this psalm is true and I have cancer, but then I die can cause a lot of pain and anger. And so I think it's really important to look at victory in the light of eternity. And, our, our victorious cry may not come in this life. And cancer may take us, but the Lord of hosts is still with us. And they, on the other side of glory, we're going to be still and know that he is God.
2: Yep, that's exactly right. The, um, I was thinking just even just the word success, like <clears throat> what the world consider, considers success in life and what God considers success in life, and I feel like it's a completely different def- de- definition. You know, the world would, would say, well, you've gotta be, you gotta have money, you gotta be able to show what you've done, accolades, reputation, that sort of thing. And that's just not how God defines it at all. Um, I, I feel like God defines success as faithfulness, and if we are faithful, with whatever he's given us to do, whatever he's asked us to do. Like you said, um, then we will have been successful, but two, we will also continue to to taste that victory, uh, in the end when he vindicates, um, brings vengeance and then recreates the world. I
0: I think that gives us a narrative too, Eric about, Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. So one thing I thought about, Dagan, when you were describing Contra and the, and the cheat code and those different things is if I were to write a self-help book, which I feel like I could do in an afternoon and it would sell a few million copies because <laughs> there's basically nothing in those books. It's just vapid nonsense. But if is you would tell someone like, well, God mode in those games, because that's typically what's that, what that's called. That's only good for a time. But what you need is to to struggle a little bit. So you have something that you can overcome. But what we're describing here and what y'all described with all these other Old Testament battles and things like that, that's God mode. Because when you see these things happening where where you're outnumbered by the enemy or they have the high ground or anything like that, and then you win, your, your army wins, that's because God put your army in God mode. And so the worldly wisdom would be like, no, you need, and like a guy like me, I'm like, No, you need struggle. You need to be able to build that resilience. Like, you know, yeah, sure, play on God mode, but then, you know, put it on the hardest mode possible so that you can learn how to overcome. But the godly wisdom is putting yourself on the right side of the ledger. You're either with God's army or anybody else. And at the end of the day, after cancer, after hurricanes, after battles, after everything, only one side is going to be on the correct one. One side can be victorious. Like you can't have multiple ways to it. And there's this constant kind of battle back and forth of godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. The problem I see is a lot of that worldly wisdom has just like eked its way into the modern day church. And it's like, we feel like, again, I kind of go back to this gospel plus, like, yeah, 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 that, but also you need to vote a certain way, or yeah, 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 that, but also you need to advocate for this particular group that has this particular immutable characteristic, and then so that they will feel better. Oh, yeah, hey, we need to be known for what we're for, not what for what we're against, and we just want to add stuff to make us feel more comfortable, and even maybe to come back around to my struggle with a lot of pastors and preachers and music leaders ignoring the stuff like this is they're not leading people into an authentic faith. Because that's why I tell people all the time, the reason why we talk about the line of Judah so much is because, hey, you've taught us about the Lamb of God, like we get it, but like you're not understanding the totality of Christ. You're getting not just a watered down gospel, it's worse than that, it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that, that, that kind of brings us all the way around like, yes, we have to have the, the verses of comfort, but guess what, there are guys that read this Psalm and it's comforting. Mm-hmm. Now, my wife will read this, and she'll be like, that's chaotic, that's icky. But like I read that, and I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. like Let's storm the gates of hell now. Like, that kind of thing. And so I guess that's my encouragement for everyone to to kind of embrace. Like, make sure you're on the right side of that ledger.
1: Well, the self-help industry just in itself is an indication that we all know God exists. And we know something's broken. That and needs we, fixing. And we true. Know, yeah, we know something's broken. And so... We can rail on self-help and I've, I've been there. I've, I've tried to read self-help books, but it, at the end of the day, it's, it's always missing something and what an opportunity we have as Christians to speak into that. And this is a call to myself just as it would be or just as much as it is a call to, to everybody else is people that are looking for that self-help stuff and a great, a great way to point them towards the ultimate help, the ultimate refuge, the ultimate fortress in, in our, our Lord of hosts, in Jesus Christ. And that's something that we should strive for
0: every day. And the, the thing about treating the Bible, so you shouldn't treat the Bible as a pseudo self-help self help book. It's, it's the capital T truth book. Because you can read self-help books and there's a lot of truth in it. Technically, one of the greatest books of all time, in my opinion, 12 Rules for Life, is a self-help book. It's in that category. Mm. But what is undergirding the things in that book that are true? A Judeo-Christian ethic, which right. comes from what? The books that we all have out in front of us right now. And so that's even when you have people, call them you know, old school liberals or, or you know, conservatives or whatever. These people that point to a Judeo-Christian ethic as being correct right. or right. The next question invariably has to be, how do you know that? Just like if an atheist, if I were to say, hey, uh, I see you have a two-year-old daughter there. If I were to smash her head in with a hammer, would that be wrong? Or would you just not like it? Well, no, that would be wrong. Well, how do you you mean? What do you mean wrong? We're stardust. Like we're all stardust just bumping into each other. What makes that wrong? Because you can say you don't like it. Everyone should agree that if I bash your kid's head in with a hammer that you wouldn't like it. But what makes that wrong? And so- I think all this goes in, and I think it goes into the macro story that we've brought up a lot over the last several weeks, is when you separate off the Old Testament because it's scary, or because you don't quite understand it, or because Jesus seems a lot easier and nicer, you're missing so much seasoning for the gumbo that is the gospel, right? Because the gospel in and of itself is an entire story that this entire book points towards. Everything in the Old Testament points towards the gospel. Everything in the New Testament points towards the gospel. It's a li- again, Jordan Peterson had one of the greatest quotes about the Bible by a non-Christian. This isn't a book. It's a library. Mm-hmm. And this is a library about one subject matter, the, the person of Christ and the salvation therein.
1: in. Yeah, the gospel is in the Old Testament. It doesn't just point to the gospel. The gospel's there too. Like Abraham has preached the gospel. Paul talks about that. And he is, is is counted faith or he is counted righteousness by faith. I can't remember exactly how it goes. Sorry <laughs> for messing that up, but the gospel's all the way th- all the way throughout the Bible. And I, I agree. Separating the old testament from the New Testament, like it it renders it useless. It's a useless book if you separate it out. Because it's all it's all the gospel.
0: Mm, absolutely. Well guys, uh, Psalm 46 is really short, and I think we, we squeezed quite a bit out of it, and there's certainly more there, but we're going to have to leave it there for now. But guys, come back next Sunday where we are going to be digging into Psalm 2. Whose favorite Psalm of Psalm 2? Matt. Nine. And guess who's not going to be here next week? I won't be here. Matt. All right, so <laughs> Matt is going to give us some notes uh, with which to kind of dig into Psalm 2. But guys, do Matt a favor. And read Psalm 2 and then come back here next week ready to get after it. But guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you today is a link to our donation page. Guys, if you're wondering how we're able to pull off things like this show and everything else we do with Undaunted Life, it's because we have donors. We have guys just like you out there that are partnering with us on a monthly basis, giving whatever they can, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, to support all the operations here and help us equip men around the globe to be able to push back dark darkness. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just you shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song, Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah